Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here. Um, and if it's your first time here, you're here for um, a great series that we're doing. Uh, we are in the second week of our series entitled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And you can go onto our website to check out some of the past series. But what this birthed out of was just a conversation um, with some volunteers while we were setting up for Easter. And I noticed that um, as Christians, oftentimes when we are having conversations with non-Christians, there tends to be some barriers in the way of their belief. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes when you say, hey, you know, either I'm a Christian or something comes up in a conversation, inevitably the other party will say something like, that's good, that's great, but you know, I, I sort of struggle with Christianity or I sort of struggle with church or I sort of struggle with the Bible, especially, you know, when, when the Bible says blank. And, and what we realized is oftentimes those very phrases um, are, are nowhere in Scripture. And so last week we, we looked at the phrase, um, you know, the Bible says forgive and forget. And we said, actually, that comes from Shakespeare's King Lear. That is nowhere in the Bible. Um, but what the Bible does teach is for us to never forget that we have been forgiven. And it, and it changes the game when we understand what the scriptures are. But we said what's important for us in an area like Butler County, where there's Dollar Generals, Mexican restaurants, car dealerships, and churches on every corner is, lo and behold, when it comes to the Bible, there tends to be about five types of people. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a general list. And we said um, there's those who reject it, just outright, just um, I'm not a believer, I have some issues with that, outright reject it. There are those who are around it, around the scriptures. My grandmother went to church, or this, that, and the other. There are those who are under it, listening to podcasts, you today, listening to sermons, going to church on Christmas and Easter. You're under the scriptures. And then there's some of us who are in it as well, even studying the Bible. But we said that inevitably um, those categories are not the end goal. And, and some of us would even think that, man, if I'm in it, that's it. That's the goal, is, is to be in the scriptures. Um, we said that Judas, Judas was in it. Judas was around it. Judas was under it. Judas went to the greatest seminary the world has ever known. Judas got the greatest theological education that anybody could ever have for three years. Judas isn't having a good day today, okay? What's the goal? Well, the scripture is always moving us to those who have it in them. You see, Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not so much about you highlighting verses as it is verses highlighting you. It's not so much about you reading the Bible as it is the Bible reading you. And a way for us to get here is to remove some of these barriers. And today, we are dealing with a phrase that I believe is by far, I don't even think there's a close second, by far the most misunderstood, but at the same time quoted Bible verse of Christians 
and non-Christians alike. I mean, it is a favorite Bible verse for all types of people. And the phrase is this. You know, the Bible says, do not judge. There it is, buddy. That's it. For the college guy sleeping with his girlfriend, that's his favorite verse right there, right? Oh, that's, we're already there, right? Okay, we're already, this is, okay, this is where the sermon's going. I'm just letting you know, all right? This is the favorite verse, man. This is the Facebook argument. This is whatever it is. You know, the Bible says, do not judge. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that preacher's got his work cut out with him today because, I mean, well, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I mean, we read it, right? There it is. Judge not that you be not judged. I mean, should I just pray, right? Let's just pray. I mean, the Bible very clearly says, judge not. I want to do something here. And, and, and for the first part of the sermon, I want to be your pastor today, okay? Um, I want to equip you with the scriptures to show you a few things. And, and by way of doing that, I want to teach you something, okay? So let's look at this simple phrase, um, it's raining. It's raining, which is a common phrase that could be said any second in southeast Missouri, right? It's raining, okay? It's raining. Um, but then it's raining, and then the rest of the sentence said the farmer amidst, that's supposed to say drought instead of drop. I'm hooked on phonics. That was my fault. Said the farmer amidst the drought. It's raining, said the farmer amidst the drought. Or how about this second one? It's raining, said the bride on her wedding day. You see, this sentence as it stands alone doesn't really mean much. But when you drop the rest of the context with it, it changes the entire meaning of that sentence. And the context is really sort of the, the key phrase here. The Oxford English Dictionary defines context as this. The words that come just before and after a word, phrase, or statement to help you understand its meaning. That's what the context is. Um, and I posted this picture on social media to, uh, this week. I said, this is how a majority of us um, read this Bible passage, right? Judge not that you be not judged. And then we're just like going to crop and edit and sort of cut out anything else because we don't want the rest of the context. Because I'm in a Facebook argument or I'm in an argument with somebody else and all I need is I just need to cherry pick and I need to Google and I need to find out that, that judge not thing. Two sentences. The first one is this. I'll never forget hearing a professor say this sentence. If you take a text out of its context, all you're left with is a con. If you take a text out of its context, all you're left with is a con. You cannot take a Bible verse out of a passage that has verses that came before it and verses that came after it. 
but primarily that if I could teach you anything through my preaching here at Westside, week in and week out, this August, I'm coming up on my seventh year of being able to teach you the Bible. And let me tell you, Westside, the fact that I get to teach you the Bible is just unbelievable to me, that I get to do this. Thank you for letting me do this. But if there's anything that I could ever teach you, it's this. When it comes to the Scriptures, we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. Please, for the love of God and for the love of your pastor's blood pressure, do not go to Google first. Okay, please. Okay? And now, now listen, I want to teach you something. Let's say somebody hits you with the phrase, you know, the Bible says, don't judge. And, 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 and do you have your Bible with you? Do you have your Bible? Awesome, awesome. Whenever we come to church, we, we bring our Bibles. It's a crazy concept, right? It's a crazy concept. And that's the reason why we give Bibles away too. But I want to show you something and, and be your pastor for a minute. That, that if you had a question with, man, is that what that really means, the do not judge thing? In your Bible, I want you to turn to the very back of it. And you're like, we get to use the maps. This is great. I've never, no, we're not going to use the maps. But in the back, there's like a list of these words. And, and, and they're in alphabetical order. I want you to find the J's. You could just go, man, the Bible says do not judge. Is that, is that all the Bible says? I love hearing those Bible pages turn. We're using our Bibles. I want you to go to the J's. And then, and then you see a list of them. And then J-U, um, my Bible has... I've got, I've got multiple ones. I've got judge, I've got judged, I've got judges, and then I've got judgment. And what you can do, this is just with your Bible. You can go, where's the word judge or judgment used in, in the rest of the Bible? And then if you took time and looked at all of those, you will come across John chapter 7, verse 24. It's listed right in my concordance. And that's Jesus saying this. Do not judge by appearances. Oh, here it is. But judge with right judgment. Well, now, that changes the game. Because at one point, I thought Jesus said, don't judge. But now what I have here is Jesus saying, judge with right judgment. And then can we look at the context in the rest of the passage? It is very clear that Jesus is not teaching that you should never make a judgment call or discernment. That you should never make any decision. He's not saying that because look at what he says in verse 3. Let's just spend some time in the passage. God forbid we study the Bible, right? Verse 3. Um, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Question. Question, how do I know the difference in a speck and a log? You know what? Sounds like Jesus being a little judgmental, if you ask me. Sounds like you have to make a little bit of a judgment call to learn about a two-by-four and then a toothpick, right? Um, but how about this? Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. <gasps> Golly, Jesus, this is 2021, brother. That's not a little politically correct. Sounds like Jesus is being a little bit judgmental, right? And then if you drop down, verse 15, Jesus speaks about beware of the false prophets. Okay, question, question. If there's false prophets, then there's probably true prophets, right? 
And then Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits in verse 16. So then Jesus is telling me to be a fruit inspector now, right? And so, listen, it's very funny and we laugh. But it doesn't take much to knock down that argument. And I think there's a common issue as to why we volley and we toss that verse around on social media or a conversation when somebody and we're in an argument and we hit them with, well, do not judge and this, that, and the other. And I believe that Christians and non-Christians use it for two different reasons, but really the motivation is the same. For a non-believer, when a believer is maybe sharing the gospel with them and talking about sin and how we're all born sinners and we're broken and we need God to save us, and a non-believer says, well, who are you to judge? That's out of self-defense. That's a self-defense. That is, well, you're calling me a sinner. You must sit. I mean, how are you to sit in the seat of judgment? And then, oftentimes... I see Christians, though it be heartbreaking, not use it so much out of a self-defense, but as a self-righteous way to say, well, you know, the world and, you know, you know, those people, those people. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Who are those people? Please explain yourself to me. I would love to know who those people are, Right? But the common motivation on both of those is the self. It is the self. And ultimately what it is, is a rejection of authority. That is what it is. I love what Augustine, the early church father, said, and he said these words. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel that you believe, but it is yourself. Listen, we can't pick and choose what we want, but we have to take it as a whole. So if Jesus in one place said, don't judge, but then in another place he said, don't judge by appearance, but judge righteously, what is Jesus saying? I want to spend some time and look at just three main things. We're going to look at proper judgment. We're going to look at what we can't judge. And then we're going to look at poor judgment. Okay? So we're going to look at poor judgment what we can't judge, and then proper judgment. How do we do this right, okay? So the first thing is this. Poor judgment happens when you are more concerned with other people's sins than your own. That's what Jesus means when he says, verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The plank. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you're so concerned about what's going on in their life first that you have yet to evaluate your life. And Jesus, you, like Jesus is funny here, right? I mean, Jesus is literally using sarcasm. He's saying that there's a sawdust and toothpick in your eye and you've got a, or in your brother's eye and you've got a two by four that's going on in your own eye. Jesus is saying, why are you so concerned with their life? The second thing is this, um, you treat people like problems rather than people. I love the phrase when he says um, in verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? 
When I read that this week, I thought that Jesus' tone might have changed. Like, oh, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. It's like such a self-righteous way to sort of say that. And, and listen, how many of us fall into the trap of, ooh, like right now you're doing it. You're listening to the sermon and you're going, oh, my gosh, my coworker Bill, mm, he's got to hear this. He's got to hear this today. And, and so tomorrow at the office, I'm just going to play the sermon again, and I'm going to play it kind of loud in the office. And then maybe Bill will be able to sort of hear because Bill's life's falling apart. He's got, oh, I mean, he's got problems. And then what you try, and by the way, I'm sorry if your name's Bill. I'm just kind of using that, okay, right? Um, and, and, and then what you try to do is you try to, like, fix Bill. You know, you're like, oh, you know, anytime Bill says anything at work, like, ah, oh, man, you know, we've got this going on in the family. And then you hit Bill with four book suggestions and six different nine other things and all of that. And then finally, Bill doesn't want to hang out with you because you're weird. OK, you're just weird. All right. Um, people are people. They're not problems. Grandmama, look at me. I know you love those grandbabies, and I know they've wandered far from the way in which you've raised them, but please look at me. That grandbaby's not a problem. It's a never-dying soul, and maybe less complaining and more praying, more loving. Jesus is saying when you treat people like problems, they know that they're your little pet project. These things are built on relationships. So it's um, when you're more concerned with other people's sins or you treat people like problems, or the third thing is this, when you hold non-Christians to a Christian standard. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about dogs, right? Did you pick up on that in verse 6? That's like a weird thing. Um, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. At least they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. You're like, what? What is that? Well, number one, um, this is a very Jewish thing that Jesus is saying, okay? So we say this all the time at Westside. The Bible was not written to you, okay? It was written to people living in a real time and a real space. It's written for you. But it's not directly written to you. And so Jesus is speaking, Matthew's gospel is to primarily a Jewish audience. And a dog and a pig were considered unclean animals, right? So back in ancient times, and even today, if you go to the Middle East, dogs run rampant. They run everywhere. And swine was considered to the Jewish people a very unclean thing. And what Jesus is saying is, why would you place a pearl in front of a pig? I mean, just have you ever seen a pig eat before? It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to mow down whatever is in front of it. And, and listen, a pig cannot appreciate the value of a pearl. It doesn't know that. Now, translation and bridge the gap to your life. Why in the world are you in such dismay when you see um, Marilyn Manson act the way that he acts on the news? 
Why are you so worked up over this celebrity who has this shoe, who's now doing this, and you're all your... Hey, listen, look, this is, the be- this is all I got. This is the whole sermon right here. I don't have anything else more than this. People who don't love Jesus act like they don't love Jesus. That's all I got, guys. That's it. And so at the end of the day, why in the world would you hold non-Christians to a Christian standard? Now, the problem and the rub comes in is when they think they're Christians and they're not. (laughs) But that's a different sermon. But listen, if we do this, that's poor judgment. And that comes straight from the text. But we know that Jesus is not saying that you can't be discerning. But I do think that there are a few things that absolutely, under no circumstances, are never in our jurisdiction, okay? There are three things that I believe the scriptures teach that we can never judge, that we do not have that type of jurisdiction. The first one is this, motives, motives. You can write this reference down, but I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, here it is, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his uh, commendation from God. Paul is saying, do not judge what is in someone's heart You can never judge motives. So listen, here's the sentence, okay? You can never say, according to the Bible, "Mm." well, I know exactly why she did that, okay? Look at her wearing that. I know exactly why she wore that today, okay? And the reason why I'm using girls as an example, because ladies, let's admit, y'all are mean, okay? (laughs) Vicious, all right? Okay? But listen, listen. And and by the way, um, if you want to end your marriage like now, judge motives all day, every day, constantly. Well, I know why she, I know why he, I know why. Oh, really? Really? Um, While you're at it, can you please give me the lotto numbers this week? That I mean, like, who are you to be able to judge motives and the intention of the heart and know what's going on? I'll never forget reading the story from uh, Stephen Covey, whose leadership, um, and I've shared it with you before, but Stephen Covey one day was in New York, and he was on the subway. And it was very crowded, very cramped. And there were three kids that were just running amok, causing all kinds of trouble, swinging from the rail, I mean, doing all kinds of things. And he was reading this newspaper, and he kept looking up and glancing at the dad. The dad was reading something, paying no attention to the kids. And then finally, one of the kids was swinging on the thing and popped his newspaper. And Stephen Covey thought, that's it, that's it. Looked at the dad and said, sir, can you please get control of your kids? You know, and Stephen said under his breath, you know, this is what's going on, all these problems, everything else that's going on. And one of the things, what he said was, when he spoke to the dad... The dad looked up and was sort of in a haze and didn't really know what was going on. And he said, sir, could you please get control of your kids? And the dad looked up and snapped out of the haze and said, I'm so sorry. Um, I was reading this hospital bill. Their mother just died. 
and I, and I haven't told them yet. I'm, I'm so sorry. And Stephen Covey said from that moment on, he would never judge any person because he has no idea what's going on in their life. So I don't know when you're standing at line or you're at work or you're engaging with someone or you see a Facebook status. You can never judge motives. The second thing is this. Um, we can never judge appearances. Jesus told us that. That was the kid side thing. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And listen, guys, we are not honest with ourselves. We are not honest with ourselves by how often we do this. And what's so great is that I've been on the receiving end of this. Um, you know, having tattoos, it's funny when you interact with certain people. And I was working at Hastings a number of years ago. And as I was working there, there was a gentleman who was asking for help, and I was showing him around the store. And um, we were checking out, and he kept sort of talking and was being kind of weird with me. And then finally, I told him his total, and he checked out, and he bought a couple Bibles and a few Bible studies. And as he was checking out, and, and I said, thank you so much for coming in. Have a great day. He slid me something. And he didn't say anything. He just kind of slid it to me. And I looked at it, and when I looked at it, I knew exactly what it was. It was a gospel track. I'm a youth pastor at the time. I'm on staff at a church, right? And so I'm like, this is great. Game on, buddy. Game on. And so I didn't say a word. I just looked at him and looked at the thing and looked at him and looked at the thing like, are you going to give me the pitch? Are you going to pitch it to me? He didn't say anything. He just turned around and walked out. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this guy, I don't know if he's judging by my appearance what's going on, but listen, to be on the receiving end of that, um, it makes you feel like you're not a person, like you're not a person. Listen, we can never judge by appearances. And then the last thing is this. Um, we can never judge harshly. That's the key. That's the motive. That is the thing under the thing that's under the thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. I mean, what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says, you want to summarize the law and the prophets? Do you want to say, hey, Jesus, if Jesus had a Twitter account and could summarize the entire Bible, Jesus, give us a tweet, give us a Facebook status, what is it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You, for this is the law and the prophets. Because here's what Jesus is getting at. This is the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is doing is he is exposing the hypocritical religious way of worshiping God. He's getting at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those guys. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God looks like this. Not like this. And what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did is they always judged people's motives. They always judged people's appearances. And they said those people have to sit in the back of the temple and don't invite those people because they'll cause all kinds of ruckus. And they always judged other people so harshly. But here's what Jesus is exposing. He's exposing all of us because we always judge people by standards that we never judge ourselves by. 
maybe this will help. Um, one of the great theologians that has, has had an impact on my life is Francis Schaeffer. And, and Francis Schaeffer was very good at apologetics, which is explaining to non-believers the Christian faith. And he primarily would do it at universities, at high intellectual levels. And one time he said, imagine that if on the day of judgment, God didn't even use the Ten Commandments to judge your life. That God did not even use the very standards that you have a problem with. Imagine that your life was judged by a single cassette tape. Imagine, this is how old the illustration is. It's a cassette tape. Kids, what a cassette tape is, is, is that it, right? Yeah. Um, he said, but it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It wasn't any of that. It was a single cassette tape. And what was the cassette tape? The cassette tape was a recording that hung around your neck your entire life. And on the day of judgment, God presses play. And he said, now, let us see if you live by the standards in which you judged everybody else. You see, what Jesus is exposing is he's exposing our own hypocritical heart. So what does it look like for proper judgment? How can we do this in the right way? Um, well, I just want to run through them really quickly. Proper judgment looks like this. The first thing is this. I evaluate my own sins first. I evaluate my own sins first. Look, Jesus tells us, this comes from verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. First evaluate your life. And listen, I am weary to my bones. I am weary to my core of people who would put non-believers on blast about a certain type of sexual sin while you're sleeping with the secretary. I am weary to my bones of people who would pronounce judgment upon other people and the world itself looks at that type of hypocrisy and says, we don't want that type of Christ. We don't want that type of Christ because look at the way in which you live. What Jesus is saying is that we first humbly come to the cross ourselves. That nobody stands up at Calvary and tells other people to kneel. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, that there is level ground at Calvary. Everybody is on a bended knee. I evaluate my own sins first. And then the second thing that I see is this. I engage, I engage my brother's sins second. See, we don't like this. See, you have a misunderstanding of, of what church even is. Most of us don't even know that the Bible teaches this. That the church is a community of accountability. Maybe this illustration will help. This isn't even in my notes. In, in Greek mythology, there was the Sirenes. And the Sirenes were these beautiful women who were sort of like mermaids. Who What they would do is they would sing... And they would hypnotize the sailors that were looking for the great treasure. And it would get them off track and send them to a rocky waterfall where they would then crash and lose everything. The story is told that Simon is going on his journey looking for the treasure. And he knows he's coming up on the sirens. 
And what he says is, I'm going to tie myself to the mass of the ship. And no matter what I say, no matter what I do, do not change course. And the legend goes that the closer that they got, Simon began to hear the women of Cyrene singing. And he began to foam at the mouth. And his eyes rolled in the back of his head. And he threatened to kill everybody on the ship if they didn't turn the ship. And they said, we can't do it. He told us not to do it. And lo and behold, they pass by and they go and get the treasure. Listen, do you know what the church of Jesus Christ is? The church of Jesus Christ is a group of people that we live our life with. And we go to them and we say, I have this area in my life that if I begin to hear that song sung, my life will drift off course. And I need you in my life to lovingly call on me and to sit down at a table with me and say, you can't go this way. You can't go this way. See, first we evaluate our own sins, and then secondly, we engage those others in our brothers. But what Jesus is saying is that we're not headhunters. We're heart searchers. That's what it is. I love what the early church father, John Chrysostom, said. Correct him not as a foe, nor as an adversary, exacting a penalty, but as a physician, providing medicine. That's how we do this in community. That's how we judge properly and discern. And then the last thing is this. I evaluate my own sins first. I engage my brother's sins second. And then I embrace rather than exclude. Do you know what I couldn't get over in these verses this week? Is that Jesus uses the term brother three times. Do you see it there in your Bible? I mean, verse 3. Why do you take the speck that is in your brother's eye? Then verse 4, in your brother's eye. And then verse 5, your brother's eye. That's familiar language. Listen, the problem with today's cancel culture and all of those type of things is that the judgment is to exclude and never bring back into fellowship. Never with the intention of reconciliation. It is to stand over and to condemn. But judgment seeks to understand and to reconcile. And what is our motivation for this? Listen, in closing, I want to tell you what the key and the motivation to all of this is. How come for Christians, when we discern, rather than pronounce harsh judgment, what is our motivation for that? Our motivation is that Jesus was judged for us. You see, God in His great riches and kindness and mercy did not exclude us, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But at the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. And now He has sent His Spirit into our hearts that we might cry, Abba, Father. What do you think it meant in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. 
Listen, as the worship team comes and leads us in a time of response, the thesis and the big idea today is very simply that the Bible doesn't teach do not judge the way that we think it does. The Bible says for us to judge in light of the fact that Jesus was judged for us. Westside, what would it look like? What would it look like if a community of believers lived like this? Because you see, we must live in the tension. You see, some of us are over here going, that's right, brother, preach it. Truth, truth, truth. The cross is bloody, and look at all of that. And then some of us are over here going, but grace, but grace, but grace. And the key is grace and truth. Because how serious does God take sin? How serious does God take sin? Well, look at the cross. For it was my sin that held him there. But how much does God love you? And how much of a way has God made for you to get back to him? Look at the cross. For this is the way in which we live. So in just a moment, I want to lead us in a corporate prayer together. And we will come forward and we'll, we'll take the elements of communion. And do you know what we're doing when we take communion? We are literally taking the elements and participating in the judgment that fell upon Jesus Christ. So I don't know what relationship you have in your life. I don't know what's going on. But I do know this. I know that we're supposed to judge in the way in which and knowing in light of the fact that Jesus was judged for us. And I think then that humility, that love, and that grace... That's what changes relationships. Westside, if you would, stand to your feet and let us lift our voices out loud and pray this prayer that is on the screen together before we come and partake of the elements. Westside, lift your voices. Heavenly Father, we know we have fallen short. We turn our backs when we could embrace. We remain silent when we could speak. We speak when we could listen. We judge when we could seek understanding. We cling when we could give. Forgive us, O oh God, for focusing solely on ourselves and help us to continue to grow into the people You created us to be through Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before You today so grateful for Your Word. Grateful for the good news that for our sake, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a tension, God. And many of us in this room have relationships and we're, and we're exhausted from the tension. May we first today evaluate ourselves God, we so desperately need your grace and your mercy. Amen. Holy Spirit, may you have your way with us today. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.